It's a lot better than I ever dreamt. Just thought it was going to be a, an oak bomb or something. That's like right. That. I mean, is that typically like somebody like? It sounds so like immature for me to say, but like when you're sitting there tasting or blending, you're like, "Oh, it's an oak bomb. Get rid of it." Like, is that is that like just something that's like a layman's term, or you, you use something else to like characterize that? Yeah, it's pretty close. Is it really is that on? It is still on. Yeah, I better not say it. <laughs> Here, I can turn it off. Hey everyone, this episode was a special one for me, and you'll see why if you check the unedited content that is going to be posted to Facebook in the upcoming few weeks. Hopefully that intro is an indicator of what's to come. If you haven't been following us on Facebook, then you're missing out. We currently have a giveaway running for a very unique Four Roses flask that is coming from the fine folks over at Four Roses in conjunction with last week's release with Brent Elliott from Whiskey Live talking about the 50th anniversary release for Al Young. This contest ends on Friday, July 14th at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So head on over there and get yourself entered. If you're interested in getting your brand in front of thousands of bourbon geeks every week, go to bourbonpursuit.com and click on the partnership tab at the very top to get all the details. More of those iTunes reviews are coming in. So thank you to all the subscribers out there for making us successful. And now enjoy this week's episode. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 
three. Welcome back to the episode of the Burnt Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. I am here again at Buffalo Trace and talking to, uh, you know, we've had tasters, we've had uh, master distillers, but I don't know if we've actually had a master blender on the show today. And we don't have Ryan here in tow with me today, so it's just me uh, riding solo with this, but it's going to be fun nonetheless because I think we, uh, we've got a, a, a great guest lined up, especially at one of the most famous and renowned distilleries that you're going to find around Kentucky. And he is is easily the man responsible for pretty much everything that you're going to be tasting that's coming out of this company, as well as uh, even some of the flavored whiskeys and all these other kind of things, right? Like he's got a, and we'll talk about his history and his past and all these great things. And I think I've churched him up and given him a big enough head. So let's go ahead and uh, welcome our guest to the show. So today we have Drew Mayville. Drew is the master blender at Sazerac slash Buffalo Trace, whatever you want to call this location, OFC, George T. Stagg. We're here at, uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Ah, oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, I, I think we uh, we need to get more about you and talk about your past because I did some LinkedIn sleuthing and and kind of found out that you know you're no spring chicken to this, right? You've been thanks you've, a lot. Yeah. So you've been around to this since like since 1980, right? So kind of talk That's about right. how you carved your path in this industry. Uh, it was all by uh, yeah, I I think luck in a lot of ways. Ended up with the best job in the world. But I started back in 1980 in a distillery working in the laboratory. And if back in in the day, that was the place to be. That was where everybody wanted to be. If you were working in a distillery, you had to be in the lab, in the distillery. And it really gave me a great foundation to learn the process. There's no better foundation because you have your hands on everything working in that capacity. Um, and then about a year later, like I was the youngest, a year later, a, an opportunity came up in the bottling area. And that's where everybody didn't want to go, right? So because everybody was experienced and that was the place to be, um, they said the youngest person will go. And hence <laughs> I left. And so... Take the short straw, yeah, right? Yeah, it was the short straw. I didn't have actually a, a draw it, I was told. <laughs> you never strawed even having the game. No, but. there's no straw in the game. And uh, from there, I went right to the bottling area, which I got involved a lot with packaging. But at the same time, that area had tasting. And so that's where I got into the tasting part. And that was relatively new in my career. And so that got me involved with all dimensions of a distillery besides just distilling. And tasting was a big part of the final product. And along there came uh, many other different opportunities at Seagram. And uh, that's where I got my start, right there in the distillery laboratory. Yeah, so you were a Seagram's for a, a good chunk of your, your, your life, right? Yes. And uh, we were actually uh, on a tour with Freddie at one point, and he, he gave you a lot of accolades and said that you have a palate and you have a nose that's out of this world, and you were actually working on uh, Crown Royal at one point too, right? Yeah, when I left Seagram, or when it was sold, I was the fourth and last master blender for Seagram North America. So anything in the Seagram portfolio I was responsible for as far as taste profile was concerned. So that would be products like Crown Royal, um, Seagram Gin, and a brand, Captain Morgan, I think you probably heard of that. So some of the biggest brands in North America I was responsible for blending 
Mm-hmm. So I guess talk a little bit more about what do you mean by by the blending process? Because that, that's something that we we talk a lot about master distillers and we say like, oh, we'll talk about grains and blah, 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 blah. But we don't talk a whole lot about what happens after that, right? Like, yeah, sure, we've got 90 barrels, they we can mix them together and hopefully they make something, but there's actually somebody in the back that makes sure that it fits a flavor profile. Right. And, and right. That's you're the, exactly and you're, the, you're the man. So I guess kind of talk about that, what that means to be a master blender. Well, really the, the whole concept is in, from what my mentor taught me was um, distilling is a science, but blending is an art. And so if you look at it that way, Blending puts all these components together so the sum is better than the individual parts. It's, it's like an orchestra. If you hear one instrument, uh, that's, it's beautiful. But if you put all the instruments together, it's better. So blending is the same concept. Or whether you're a painter and painting, all those things together make a better product. So not just in terms of complexity... But in terms for anybody that hears this, we've got yeah. like yard yard maintenance going on in the background, so we'll we'll work through it. But go ahead, Drew. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> so so blending is the art of making a taste the taste consistent, like you just described, and it's not given the 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 do that it's really that's involved in doing it because in the U.S., making bourbon is more about distilling. Uh, but when you make a, a final product, you just don't put 30 barrels together and say that's it. You have to make sure you meet the taste profile. So if you look at our distillery, we have 14 different warehouses and are building more as we speak. And what happens there is that each warehouse and each floor of the warehouse will have a different taste profile, even if it's the same recipe, just by the conditions in the warehouse and the floor it's at. So there's a lot of... Uh, uh, marrying of different components to make the final blend so it tastes consistent and complex. I think we would do ourselves a little bit disservice because uh, you talked about, you know, your, um, your previous and your past. Uh, you know, who was your mentor that, that kind of gave you the guidance to, to learn all through this or kind of gave you your shot to, uh, to take the education path as well? Uh, he, he was, his name was Mr. Art Daw, and I just talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, and uh, working on a project with him. But he was the second master uh, blender for Seagram in North America, and I was the fourth. So there was only four, and he was the second one. And so it's it was a, a lot. You know, Seagram was a, a, a quite a big company and been around for many years, and that shows you the master blenders tend to stick around a long time. So mm-hmm. maybe my future's good here, right? Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, I don't think this place is going anywhere anytime soon, right? So. Right. So, so he he's the one that I mentored with, and uh, you know that's really the uh, the path back then was is to mentor with people as opposed you know there's not really any courses on how do you blend whiskeys I don't know of any except the one I'm giving uh, in a few weeks in Texas. There you go. Yeah, sign yourself up there. Yeah, <laughs> DrewMaysville.com. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so he was my mentor and uh, learned everything from him and his team at the time. And that was back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to talk about some of the things that you you also do here, right? I want to talk about the panel first off, right? Because I think that's that's always something that is very misunderstood, at least in the bourbon world, is that nothing just 
passes just because it's been aged or sitting in a warehouse. Like everything goes through uh, multiple rigorous tastings. And then it also goes through a panel of, of taste people that, uh, such as yourself, that actually judge it, whether it just fits a characteristic. And then uh, at what point does it actually characterize itself to be in a particular kind of blend or a particular kind of whiskey? So kind of talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, a lot of, well, let's, let's take exa- as an example, uh, single barrel, which is the most complex because Every barrel is slightly different. So what we're looking for is we have a standard that we agree is what it should taste and smell like. But with a single barrel, because of the variation, you have a little more leeway, but it still has to be in the same family of taste. It can't be so different. Um, It has to be in that taste profile. A lot of it is uh, based on age. So if you have a whiskey that's eight years old, you you know, you're not going to go pick a a whiskey uh, that's 12 years old and say that's the product that you'd put in your blend. So you you keep the age similar and then you sample. And the way we do is we sample each barrel for, say, for instance, a single barrel. And every every barrel that we actually bottle is a lot. In, in other words, a separate one has to be evaluated individually. And our taste panel will evaluate that. So if, if we do Blanton's, for example, every person on the panel has to taste each of those samples, each barrel. So it is a rigorous process and... Sounds even, rigorous. Yeah, it's a tough day. <laughs> uh, fortunately, we we have a spittoon to yeah. spit. Yeah. Except maybe Friday afternoon. There you go. Bit, right? There you go. So we actually taste each one and any panelist can turn a sample. And by turning a sample, we actually don't use it for that product. And a lot of... Uh, scrutiny is around that because a lot of places, even in the past, is that it would go through another review, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't. We don't even bother doing that. We just don't use it for that product because we feel it doesn't match the taste profile. And it's just one person. So it's very discriminating. And that reason behind it is that one person can pick up characteristics that say most people can't. And there are people more sensitive to certain characteristics. And so that's why it's, it's so uh, um, difficult to go through the panel. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to go through the panel, but it's difficult to reject something. But if you do see a difference, you'd actually turn it. We don't use it for that product. So it's actually um, probably one of the most uh, discriminating in the industry. So it's rejected, then what happens? Well, see, when it's rejected, everybody thinks that there's something wrong with it, but it just doesn't match that taste profile. Mm -hmm. So you can let it age up, so you can put it in a bigger blend, or you can use it in a blend that's got very young age. You're talking one barrel, it's not a big deal, especially if you have 500 barrels in a batch, in Mm -hmm. a big batch uh, bourbon. It's not going to make that big of an impact. It will make no impact. I, I guess. I guess that's a good question. Like, at what point does does the amount of barrels actually make less and less impact? Right. I mean, like two barrels versus five hundred barrels. Like, what, what's the what's the impact or blending that you're There's, just like? There is no hard and fast rule. It depends on the product. But I can tell you. Uh, it's we take it because ex- there's no science, right? Right. Yeah. But we can. Well, it's sensory, right? And and we are putting more science to it, but it's it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you a good example is we, we look at Pappy Van Winkle on a regular basis. We're looking at it next week with Julian when he comes in. And each barrel for him is, is important. So, so, you know, we would turn some barrels when we're looking at the samples. 
And people would think, okay, so it's 23-year-old. There's only so much available. I was going to say, so if you don't have a 23-year-old WOL recipe, then what happens to it, right? And if, if he turns away. Right. But we will, we, most people will think, ah, oh, you'll just blend it in and you'll lose, you know, that characteristic or something that doesn't match. But <laughs> I've seen it myself. We reject barrels for Pappy Van Winkle because it doesn't match the taste profile and we don't even test it. We will not use it. We just don't think it's the right thing to do. And so a lot of companies would have a hard time doing that, but actually we don't think too hard about it. And if it doesn't match what we think the final product should taste like, we don't put it in that particular marriage, Mm -hmm. which is really, uh, people don't realize that we're pretty serious about the taste of the product. So when I when I think about this, you know, I was I was going to tee up a question that said like, you know, like what are some labels you're blending for? But now I'm thinking about this. I was like, what are the labels that you're not blending for, right? Because that that you don't have a hand in. The only, there's only two I can think of, which might be Blanton's or MRT Lee, because those are the only two single barrel products right. that are really coming out of here, right? But you're right. So so I mean, I guess uh, is there anything that that I guess besides those that that you're really not uh, putting your hands on? No. And when you say blending, we like to say in the industry here, marrying. Okay. See, blending has a negative connotation for most people because it's like a cheap whiskey. So when you say blending, it's, it's really a misnomer. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's a, it can give you a better product. But the way people interpret it is to be um, something that's not good or it's cheap. So, so we like to call it marrying those elements together. And that's, that's what we do. Um, sorry, I lost train my my train of thought. Well, on if your it's question. if that's the word, you should you should be the like the Colonel Blender, right? Yeah. The master Blender or the Captain Blender, right? Well, it's like the master. Everybody's a master, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it can be used uh, pretty easily, even if you've never been in the industry. You can be a master or whatever, right? So I guess yeah, you know, we were kind of talking about the the different kinds yeah. of labels and stuff, right? So so I just wanted to go back to that single barrel concept, even though you're not marrying anything together, you are choosing the barrels individually. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if it doesn't meet the taste profile and the expected taste profile of, of say, a single barrel, then it's not going to be used for that. And we'll use it in a large blend. So I guess that that also kind of talk, I want to take like, let's take Eagle Rare for just an example, right? Because it's it's not uh, technically a a single barrel or anything like that, and maybe even just regular Buffalo Trace. I mean, at, at what point, like, how many barrels are you sampling and, like, how large are these batches to be able to say, like, okay, uh, I'm going to go and sample, we need, I don't know, 250 barrels or 150, I don't know how many it is. And are you sampling each one of them, make sure they fit the flavor profile or just, like, hope, I mean, at this point, I know you're just not, uh, you know, swinging a miss. Like, we're just going to keep adding barrels until it starts tasting good, right? Like, what, what's that thought process? Well, like, on some of our brands, we'll have a uh, blending plan for the year, and we'll actually take samples and pre-blend them. So we're not looking, like, for some, if if we're looking at every barrel we put into one of these uh, um, marriages, we, we would be doing it forever, day and night, so there's no way you can do it. So we will take representation of the different lots and do that, and we'll actually plan out, because with certain brands, I have seasons that I move, I want complexity. So I'll actually take some different seasons from, from different years and mix it together. So you're getting that variety. And also that, that funny enough is it can add um, 
to the consistency of the product too, because we're doing that. But it also gives you that complexity that you wouldn't get if you just season to season to season. And so that's the challenge is to make it taste the same every year. But the plan will be out, say, a year, and we'll work on that plan, and then we'll execute the plan to the uh, to the you know for the coming year. And then, like I said, we can take samples so we can actually see how it's aging. And and this this blending, um, I learned from the best in the industry. Seagram's was the best um, blender and known for it all over the world. So the complexity here is 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 complex compared to most uh, of our competitors as far as that's concerned. So you, you talked about the seasons and that that made me think of something like I could almost work in a marketing department because I just I just figured out the new E.H. Taylor uh, limited release that you're going to come out with. And it's the four seasons, right? So we've got distillation from fall, winter, spring, and summer, right? You then, might be closer than you think. See, how weird is that, right? <laughs> see, that's the beauty of the Buffalo Trace is that we're allowed to think that way. So the way you're thinking is the way we like to think. So when we, we have our experimental meetings twice a year and it goes up. We, we have like, it's getting bigger and bigger, the group, but we have a lot of stakeholders there up until including the president of the company. Mm-hmm. That's how much we believe in making better whiskey for the future. So we'll have discussions on what we think and we will talk about just, you described, how would that look? What if we did, what if we blend it before we put it in the barrel? I mean, all, all these things that you're just, that you just went through and people that's listening would have ideas. We, we have those same ideas and we actually encourage people if they have ideas, bring them to us because we'll probably use them. They'll be on our list. Mm-hmm. So those are exciting things for someone like myself or Harlan to actually uh, implement because ev- even though it takes away from what we do to make our regular product, that's the most fun part is that those new things, what can you come up with? How can you change your recipe to make it like a six grain that actually will add complexity and actually make a great a whiskey or what can you do about the the wage the the aging warehouse well how do you make a better whiskey that way through warehouse x or what if you process it different and maybe you make a better whiskey that way those are the things that excite us and twice a year we we that's my most favorite meeting of the year is we brainstorm and bring ideas to the table, and we actually execute what we're going to do for the next six months and come back again and do it all over again. So, so talk about the bottle that you have here, because it is a, a Buffalo Trace experimental collection, and it's and it, it kind of, um, you know, it's, it's a, you've got an organic six-grain blend uh, that you have here. So it's, it's uh, you know, you've, you've gone um, above and beyond the E.H. Taylor four-grain, right? So... Uh, I guess I guess another question when we uh, go ahead and talk about this one a little bit, um, just because <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of experimental experimental 375s that hit the market over the span of uh, the past I don't know seven years, right? Yes, uh, they, they've been out there for quite a while. Um, you don't see them too much anymore, um, but nowadays, uh, just because of I don't know, maybe there's just not as much distribution of whatever it is. But um, but just kind of talk about what you have here and kind of about the experimental collection as well. Well, if if, if um when we, we started this, this is all about experimenting and trying to see what these things do to a, a whiskey or a bourbon. And that's why you don't see very much of it because we only made a few barrels of each, some, some more than others. And let me see, this one is aged seven years and one month, but 
it's using six grains. I guess the next thing to your point is probably 10 grain, right? I don't know. Is, is, is quinoa <laughs> part of there yet? Like, I don't it's know. It's pretty idea. close. <laughs> uh, we, so this is a bourbon. It's corn, buckwheat, brown rice, sorghum, wheat, and rye. And it's aged seven years and one month. And most people won't be able to taste this because there's not much made. But it was part of an experiment to see how these grains would you know, marry together and age. So that's, that's why I brought this one. And like you say, it's organic. And it's quite different and it's very complex. Whether everybody likes it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's the purpose of the experiment is to see if there's a way of making better whiskey. And this is just one experiment of many that we have. And, and that's, that kind of goes to the next question. I, I, you know, I've talked to quite a few you know, industry pundits and all this other kind of stuff. And, and Buffalo Trace has probably done almost everything under the sun when it comes to experimentation. No, not yet. Well, that's what, that's what, but you've done a lot, right? Over yes. the, we'll say, we'll say the history of what's been going on for, for a hundred plus years. That's you you guys have tried a lot of stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. So at what point do you say like, I mean, do you say like, okay, we're either onto something or should we be like, let's just stick to making good bourbon? Oh no, we'll, we'll never do that. That's part of our culture is that continual improvement. We believe we haven't made the best whiskeys yet. Even though we've won more awards than any other distillery on the planet, um, even though our customers buy everything we make, it's not good enough, we still have to be making the best whiskey. So the whiskeys that we make today may not be the whiskeys of the future. So that thinking is inbred in our culture is that uh, we have to make better whiskeys and strive to learn to how make better whiskeys. And so that's why we do so many experiments, but you don't see the results yet. And the reason you don't is because if we like something, we're putting more away. And that's, that's the, the What are you putting away? That's I, my next we question. We can't tell you right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, here's the list. No. <laughs> so so that's, that's as, as far as working in a distillery, working part, being part of that team, this, this experiment part, like I said, is extremely interesting such that it, it keeps you thinking about the next six months when we meet what we're going to do and uh, what we're going to put away. So if we, we, we've put some uh, of our experiments away trying to make better whiskey because we think it's a superior whiskey. So we'll talk about just some of those experiments that you think that you've tried and were a cut above the rest, right? You know, let's let's stick out of the the regular portfolio of what you have. Maybe they've been um, some of the the experimental collections that's been released to the public. Maybe there's some of those single oak project barrels that ever made it out. I mean, are there any of those that that you think were a cut above the rest, or has uh, you still think that you're going to hold true that we're still we're still experimenting? Yeah, that that's a that's an underhanded way to get me to reveal what we're putting away. It so is, it's just the way. It? <laughs> yeah, I get it. No, I'm being I'm being honest though. But I mean, if, there, if there's something that yeah, there's know, lots of them actually. You know, we did the French oak, and it turned out superb. It was a very, I think, a very excellent whiskey. Although you know, we've done experiments that I think we've learned a lot from the single oak, uh, and we're actually going to make what we feel was the best whiskey and what the customer voted as being the best whiskey uh, for the future. It's going to be under the single oak name. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we found out is that the superior whiskey, in our opinion, and according to our customers, was one that the oak staves were seasoned longer than we seasoned them. And we seasoned them a long time. And then when I say season, people think just add salt and pepper, but it's not. <laughs> Maybe some paprika. Yeah, not quite. But it's basically leaving the oak staves aging outside so you get rid of all the undesirables. And 
you, we're leaving it um, longer than what we do, much longer, actually made a better whiskey. So, so you could probably anticipate that's what we're going to do for that product. So there's lots of the examples that I could give. One that I, was, that I developed was the IR experiment. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Probably doesn't have anything to do with infrared, but keep going. Or is it infrared? Yes. So when oh, they, man. Look, me, we can... worked with the barrel company and basically uh, used different infrared treatments on the interior of the barrel. So it changed the chemical structure on the interior and then they charred it. And we, we went with, you know, medium and short wavelengths to actually change it. So we have that experiment that we actually just uh, put out. And it, it, I found it was superior. We, did, we aged it around six, seven years. Um, and I thought it was, it was ex- excellent whiskey. I would love to do more and actually age it longer. I wish we'd keep some, but that, that's the thing with experiments is that you, you do an experiment and you find out a result. And if you like it, or if you don't like it, the, the, what you, what you find out is, oh my, what if we did this now? So there's actually sometimes more questions than you've answered, and you keep experimenting. So it's it's a process that's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And the re- the main reason is because you get your results six, eight, ten years later. Right. And you have to live long enough to actually uh, uh, see the result. That's what to say. It's what you call job security, right there, right? Yeah, that's a guaranteed job security. <laughs> but regardless. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of those those characteristics that you're trying to find for different labels, different brands, especially when you're doing your job and you're trying to blend them together, right? So if I'm if I'm looking at a, a at a Buffalo Trace or I'm looking at a Eagle Rare or I'm looking at um, uh, Old Charter or whatever it is, right? Like so, like what are those characteristics that you're looking for in each one of these that are 
different that that really separate them across? And then is there a is there a baseline that you're comparing them to be, be, while you're doing the blending as well? So just a little bit more about the process side. Yeah. So let, let's take Buffalo Trace as an example, and even versus Eagle Rare, a Buffalo Trace is a, around eight years. So you want that taste profile, which is what our standard goes back actually to the second production run of Buffalo Trace ever. And that standard is what we're targeting. So with Buffalo Trace, it's got a taste profile that has, a, we, I like to call it a balanced taste. And the reason I call it balanced is because you can taste the sweetness from the corn, the spiciness from the rye, and the oak and wood flavors on the finish especially. And that taste profile is what we're looking for. Whereas you compare the taste profile of Buffalo Trace to Eagle Rare, you'll see, you'll see all those characteristics, but it's not balanced as much. And Eagle Rare is, at, say, aged two more years. So that two years, it changes. So you've got more of that oak and those and that dry characteristics on the finish where you lose some of that fruitiness at least the raw sweetness and it actually two more years development gives you deeper darker fruits and it gives you uh, a different type of spice not as spicy it's more refined so that taste profiles for that and then if you go even further to, say, George T. Stagg, it's a total different game mm. because of the development and the complexity of the aging. So that aging makes it much more complex, but at the same time, because you're aging it so long in a new oak barrel, the wood components change it too. It's, it, it's not as easy to pick out the components, and for most people anyways. So the taste profile is what we're aiming for. And that's what we try to match. So you have some deviation around that, but not much. So let's talk about those premium lines real quick. Uh, the antique collection, the Van Winkles. Um, you know, when you when you're doing these, is it is it all hands on deck? Everybody better be on their you know oh, yeah. their A game and stuff like that. Oh, like, what's yeah. the what? You just it's not another day at work when it comes to those those sorts of. No, we're products. getting geared up right now to start doing that. So we'll be doing that in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Which is always exciting. You know, their hand. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can make a day off. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a strenuous process for the antique collection because everybody is such high regard for it. The pressure's on, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and it really is vintage. Every year, it's a different product, slightly, but it's different. So. I'll get notes from the boss saying, well, this writer didn't like this. And, and it's, it's so much pressure on us to perform every year on every product. But what's the best part is that one may not like it and the other loves it. So it's, it's actually depending on the persons a lot. But every year we get into this mode, which we're getting into, where we actually sample the barrels and decide whether that's going to be next year's uh, or this year's release in the, in the fall. So, so we don't have much time. Uh, that's, that's the challenge. Um, but we'll, if we don't like something, you know, we'll look at it. We'll compare it to previous years because I want to make sure not deviating too much. And then we'll actually make the determination. Is there something uh, that's not right? Is it good enough? And I make that call. So if you don't like it, it's my fault. If you like it, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we'll look at lots of samples. We'll dissect it, take it apart, 
draw on anything we have in the distillery, anything goes. And that's, that's kind of fun because right. you get to pick and choose anything for its highest priority. So the pressure's on every year and um, hopefully we do a good job this year and everybody loves it. Well, good. So that's, that's, that's actually, I'm glad we talked about that because it made me think of the next question because like Sazerac 18, like it went from uh, the pre-tank stuff and the tank stuff and then it was uh, all, all new Buffalo Trace product this past year and it was completely different. Uh, for most people, they, they thought it was a, a, a big change. Uh, did you think it was a big change? Is there something that you're looking for to yeah. hopefully uh, maybe take it back to the way it was before or try to just go off in a new direction? Like what's, what's your thought process? No, for, for that one, when I first came here, it was in it was 18 years, and I said, take it out of wood. So that's why we took it out of wood. If you if you let it age too much, it may have been a terrible product. So so we took it out. And we, you know, because rye, straight rye wasn't a, a big factor, uh, we didn't have lots of it, right? So we had to meter it out every year, basically. And that's what we did on that tank to your what you just described. And so that process, even when we first started doing it, people thought it was different year to year to year. Surprisingly, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, there's people that, yeah, they, they think it's different, but yeah, it's, it's coming out of the same stainless steel tank for up until what, well, last year, right? Yeah, but I, I would I would argue, uh, especially for the beginning part, that you probably had differences because of oxidation and other reactions. There's probably, just like in a bottle, it sits, it changes slightly over time. So, I, I would I would argue that, and then last year we brought out the first time that we selected the barrels, and it was a little bit fresher. It was a little bit newer, but you let that sit; it will get closer to what we had previously. But I don't know if I can tell them this. You can man. tell it; it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. No, I better not. <laughs> I got to watch. Sometimes I say too much. And then, oh, then nobody knows. That's why we got to kick the PR person out of the room next time. (laughs) You're gone, so. Um, It's okay. Keep going, though. (laughs) So so with Sazerac Rye, the idea is to make the best product with the barrels we have. So I look at it every year, it's going to be different. And when we're selecting it, no different than Stag or uh, William LaRue, it's going to be slightly different every year. And the the... The, the idea behind it is, is vintage, like I said previously. So it's kind of making each unique every year. So people, I get people, especially for the uncut, unfiltered, ask me all the time, well, what about that 142.3 proof one? They know every year what the proof was. I have no clue. Um, They're actually on Wikipedia. If you go, all the, all the proofs of every single one are actually on Wikipedia. And there are people who know that and memorize it. And they know, <laughs> but, but they're really fans, right? Absolutely. And I, I just can't be bothered to learn that and remember that. <laughs> because every year it's going to be slightly different. And that's the beauty of the product, I think, uh, where you get something slightly different. And we, we try to keep it in the same uh, age profile, or I mean, in the same taste profile. Uh, and it's, it's possible usually. And, you know, we have some chances once in a while we take. There's one year we did some of the barrels I picked were from the lower floors, so the proof wasn't as high. And everybody, oh my goodness. If it's not hazmat, then who is, right. is this even stag anymore? But the taste was really good. You know, I think most people liked it. So it was a risk. That was the biggest risk I've taken. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was because of the the proof. And then it it's going to be a slightly different taste. It's not going to be the same as what a 143. But the beauty of our products is no matter what I pick, they're good products. So it's easy. I'm, my job's pretty easy. Yeah, actually. I was about to say, you have, you have the pick of the cream of the crop there. And if I, if I like the taste of a product, I'll probably resample many times and enjoy each time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would too. So the other one, even like this past year, um, you know, there was way more William Leroux Weller that came out uh, than even previous years before then. So it was the idea that we can, we can create more an abundance of it for uh, everybody that's getting into this by taking some, because most of them were around, I think, 12, 13 years. I think in this past year's William Lou Weller, where as before then, they might have been up to, uh, you know, 13, 15 years old and stuff like that. So there is there, uh, is there an idea that we can, we're trying to make more of this to be able to uh, satisfy more of the market too? No, that's, it's not, it, it was just the year there was more available or what, for whatever reason, it more, more by chance, I suspect, as opposed to plan to make. We're making more of all these products, but it was it was just uh, more more yield, more wherever it was in stored, etc. So it depends on how many barrels are there. Alloc- like if well, it's it, it's older than twelve years. Mm-hmm. If it, you're talking Weller, we put some twelve year in, but we have a lot of older stuff. In there. Absolutely, yeah. So you can taste it. Actually, most people can. So, so it was just happen chance. It's, you know, this year we did Pappy twenty five, and we didn't get as much yield as we expected. We expected so much, and we didn't get as much. So there's unfortunately sad customers out there. Well, I mean, you know, there's a price tag on it that's going to put actually you know, push out a lot of the market too. And as he brings it out of his pocket, there we yeah, go. Oh, I, I did bring oh my gosh, uh, my day just got better. Um, so I guess uh, talk about a little bit, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much because there's so many people that are out there that is never going to get the chance to be able to taste this. But what was it like to be able to sit there and do one of the oldest vintages that's actually coming out of this distillery uh, and making itself to the retail market? Absolutely fantastic. It's probably one of the best whiskeys I've ever tasted. And it's probably the most surprising, more surprising that it is. It's actually, it's baffling because as you get older, it doesn't necessarily mean better, especially for something like this that's aged in Kentucky in new barrels. But this one happened to turn out fantastic. For whatever reason, I have no clue, but it's absolutely fabulous. So you got a nice balance there. You got a lot of oak flavors, but it's balanced, more balanced than I ever thought or dreamt. Mm-hmm. So it actually turned out really good. So it's really a crime that most people won't taste this because it will be kept in those bottles sealed All by right. most collectors. And and I guess that's the other thing to kind of think about. You know, when you when you're doing this, I mean, are you thinking of are, are weeded weeded whiskeys doing better? at a higher age than some of like the, the rye whiskeys and stuff like that. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. It could be for a lot of reasons because of the grain, but one is I think proof too. And the reason is because the lower the proof, the slower it matures just because you're not extracting with the alcohol. Right. So we did, we, we traditionally put in at 114. We've actually done experiments on lower proofs and we've done experiments at higher proofs. And the one we liked is the one we put in, but that's based on the traditional age that we like to, to draw it out. But if you put in uh, one of those, say a weeded bourbon at a lower proof, say a hundred proof instead of 114, when it's, it, it could age up to 25, 30 years old, no problem. And 
that's, that's the learning from these experiments is we know how to make better whiskey. If you're targeting a, a 50-year-old product, maybe that's the way you get there. Mm-hmm. Because if you had a, regu- a regular product like uh, Buffalo Trace and you just let it aged up to 50 years, you probably wouldn't like the taste. So there's a lot of, a little bit of science there too, because- I mean, what do you, uh, you, I guess you probably know, but I mean, what's the oldest barrel that you still have sitting around here? Is that some information that you can divulge? Not really. No, no idea. Or you no, just can't say it. Yeah, because it, it might be- Yeah, I have be. no clue. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Play dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but just remember that you just can't age- in Kentucky, in new barrels with the temperature fluctuation and the new barrel, very long unless you do extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like this one so much, this 25, because it surprised me. It actually really surprised me and happily surprised me. Right. Well, that's, that's what I, I didn't even think I was ever going to try it, so I never even— oh, Did I say you're going to try it? No, you didn't. I'm, I'm going to hint at it, though. <laughs> But I mean, they're just, I just figured that, you know, I was like, never even tried to go for it. I was like, maybe if I see it at a bar, I can maybe expense it or something like that, right? That'd be the only way I'll ever get my hands on it. Well, it, the, the thing is, we do make fantastic products, no matter if it's the high end or the average, you know, in terms of price point. So people got to remember that, you know, products like this start out with our base weller. So you're getting a fantastic price and a fantastic product for the price. And it's just a matter of aging that, which is, is, is a lot more complex than I'm describing, but it's just a great product. And so when people say, oh, I love your stag, that's great. Uh, but it comes from products like Buffalo Trace. It's, it's the same recipe, just maybe aged longer in different locations. It's the same recipe. So you can get a great quality product for a good price. So I guess that's going to kind of go into a next question of like, what's your favorite one to blend, right? Because you do Buffalo Trace probably day in, day out, right? Probably do Eagle Rare. Um, what about like Stag Jr.? Um, you've got the Antique Collection. You've got Van Winkles. you got W.L. Weller. you got the 107s. You've got Weller 12. You need, there's, there's so many lines that come over here. So like, what, what is your favorite one that you think that you, could, that you could blend on a daily basis and just be like the happiest guy ever? That's like asking, which is your favorite child? Oh, yeah. Come on. We always have to choose. Yeah. <laughs> actually, my favorite— we just, we just don't say it, right? My favorite is Buffalo Trice. It's, it's actually fun, and it's, I actually love Buffalo Trice. I think it's the, the best bourbon that we've, that we've got for the best price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can argue for any of them, whether you like the Weller 12 or you like the, uh, you know, Sazerac Rye. Uh, but Buffalo Trace for me is kind of like the best for for balance and for blending, you know, as far as fun is concerned. But I, I like them all, to be honest with you. If, you know, if this, this junior and all the antique and whether it be Pappy, I mean, everything, everything is fantastic. You're working with some of the best whiskeys in the world here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you're spoiled riches, essentially, yes. right? Well, what what's the most fun, personally, is developing the new products, and that's that's the most fun. Um, and I kind of want to talk about that because ooh. I thought I read somewhere that the Buffalo Trace bourbon cream was your baby. Yes. Yeah. And that's it's a long story about that. We've got time. <laughs> <laughs> well, my um, I I was having uh, dinner with my boss and suggested that we do some things just like the bourbon cream and he, he says why not go for it so i did it 
and I came back with samples. I came, you got to remember, I came from uh, the largest distiller in the world, which was Diageo. And so I brought him variations. And I, you know, obviously I used young whiskey all the way up. And basically the one I prefer wasn't the youngest whiskey because you can't taste it the way you do an older one that's more mature. So he said, and this is the honest truth, he says, make it with the one that tastes best. And so that's what I did. So what's in there to this day is Buffalo Trace whiskey in the bourbon cream. So why does it taste so good? It's because of the quality of the ingredients. And it's that easy. So we're not adding neutral grain spirits. We're not adding all these things in that a lot of places do because you can. We're using the natural product. So it's the easiest thing to do to give you the best product. And I think, you know, we have a lot of customers who say that's the best they've ever tasted in terms of that type of product. So we're, we're making something for everybody. So it was that, that was my new product. And actually back then, there wasn't a lot of people doing a lot of things. So I did also the, the marketing prep, what bottle it should go in. And this is like 10, 15, 10 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I did it, all it that. It came work. out of the market, what, probably five years ago? Is that when it actually I think hit a little market? longer than that. Okay. And we actually, uh, we, don't, we don't make a product and sell it all over the US, and 20 million in advertising. What we do, and this is what we did with Buffalo Trace, is we started it, um, the, the cream, we started in the gift shop. And the, and, the, and the reaction was extremely positive. So as people asked for it, we started expanding it to other areas. And to this day, it's not available everywhere. And it's because we're waiting for the demand for people to want it, for it to come out. So it's a totally different marketing approach. And mm-hmm. it takes time to do that. But that's what they call building brands that a lot of people have forgotten about. And it's word of mouth. We're not advertising in full-page Uh, in magazines or newspapers or anything. Um, It's just word of mouth. And that or you said, like, we're missing the breakfast market. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll give you another example. Hartley, or not Hartley. Hartley, Wheatley. yeah, we know we know Harlan Wheatley. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say Hartley Brandy, but that's another one we have. But uh, Wheatley Vodka is the same thing. Gift shop first, and now it's expanding into certain markets, but they, people want it. Mm-hmm. So it's a different approach to building brands, maybe. Maybe it's traditional, but it works. Okay, so here's, a, here's another big ticket item. Um, are you the man responsible for Fireball? Um. That's a tough question because <laughs> I was at Seagram when Seagram owned that brand. Okay. And someone who actually worked for me developed it. Um, I think he might be retired by now. It's been a so, while. So you're like one person removed from it, right? Yeah, so. it was. It was. Um, but when it came to Sazerac, I was res- I'm responsible for it, yes. And a lot of that whiskey is coming from Canada, if I'm not mistaken, right, for, for Fireball. Yeah. We don't talk about too much, too much about where that's coming from. No. Well, talk about some of the other uh, finishes that you're doing for your whiskeys, because I know that you're talking about the experimentation. You know, you talk about Buffalo Trace, uh, the, the BT Cream. Uh, talk about some of those other kind of finishes that you're, you're thinking about of uh, mixtures or whatever it is that, that, you know, is, I guess you can say, excites you too at this point. Finishes uh, don't excite me, to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> we, well, you, we, you were talking about the experimentation, and I thought, I thought that was just part of it, maybe. We, we've done that. We've done uh, experiments where we actually age it in those barrels, so like seven, eight years. 
That's I'm talking um, Buffalo Trace products. We've decided to do finishing on other products. You know, we do it on 1792. You know, we've done that oh, port, yeah, port finish. It was the, fabulous. Yeah, it really. Sweet wheat. There's a few of them yeah. out there. There's, there's. Uh, I have a different view. Sometimes when you buy a finished um, whiskey or bourbon in the market, it tastes just like the the, the product. You're, you know, the finish, whatever you put into it, which is not the right way for me. My perspective is should be balanced with the whiskey, so it accents the whiskey. So, so that's my philosophy in finishing. If it goes too far, you know, if you have it in port and it's all like port, it's not the way it should be as far as I'm concerned. So we are finishing uh, a lot of our products with different types of casks. And it seems you know, pretty ready, readily available, these casks. So we're working on that now in different products. But you won't see it on Buffalo Trace. Okay. So uh, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. And I'm talking about uh, like home blenders, uh, people that blend their own bottles. They make infinity bottles. They, uh, you know, they try to grab some weeded whiskey. They trade some rye whiskey and they put it in their little decanter. They wait a month, six months, a year. Like, can you give tips? Uh, do you say, leave it to me and the pros to figure this out? Like, what's what's your kind of feeling about there? Are you talking those little barrels and stuff? Or oh, talking, yeah, you could talk about the little or barrels. Or are you talking you post-blending talk, of finished products? Post-blending of finished products, yeah. Oh, well, good for them. Yeah. That's uh, exciting, actually. Maybe they want my job. Huh? <laughs> but actually, there's a lot of room for work. I've been, I've been working myself, actually, on a a new project and looks pretty darn good where I've done that. But the tips, if you, if it's in a barrel, those little barrels, I think you're going to, you're probably doomed for failure, unfortunately. And the only reason I say that is because the ratio of liquid to barrel is not really appropriate. We've done experiments with uh, small barrels and we actually threw the product away Mm -hmm. just because it just dominates that oaky dryness. It's just way too strong. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't work for other people under other conditions, but for us, it just didn't work. So when they, I've seen people put it, their white dog in a barrel and it comes out, just like I said, very simple, one dimensional. It will not age properly. Uh, in somebody's basement, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think it's the fun of it, and which I think is good. And if people enjoy it and they taste it and they like it, well, why not? Mm-hmm. But it's not going to make a world-class whiskey that way. But it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. And post blending is interesting. I haven't heard that, uh, where they actually mix different types of whiskeys. And actually, I can, I can give you an example. I saw somebody that was trying to say, like, you'll get X amount of bottles if you donate this many bottles. And they were taking, they, t- they had a barrel that was a W.L. Weller barrel. And they took, they took, you had X amount of bottles of W.L. Weller, X amount of bottles of 107, and X amount of bottles of oh, Weller yeah, 12. One. And they put them all back in the barrel, and they tried uh, marrying them for another year just to see what was going to happen. Everybody wants to make Pappy. That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> it's not going to make Pappy. But it'll give you something that's different, and that's probably what they like. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to be too successful, although... I mean, I've heard poor man's pappy and all that stuff, how people blend and trying to make it taste like that. But it won't be. It mm-hmm. won't be. It may be a little bit different from what they started with, but it's not going to be that. It's not going to be the exact no, same thing, right? It won't be. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, I know a lot of people, they, they'll take uh, they'll take Stag Jr. and they'll mix it with something else. And it, they, they think that, you know, they can take the post-blending and they think they're, they're doing something good with it. But Well, they are in their own minds and they're enjoying it, so why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they feel... Uh, they are, that's great. Yeah. But if they're trying to match something and they won't match. 
But right. if they're making it different and they like the taste, go for it. Right. Well, cool. So uh, last question I'll kind of uh, leave you with here is, uh, so, you know, Harlan has his vodka. Uh, and if you have your way, what sort of spirit do you want your name across? Oh, it's coming out soon. Oh, man alive. It's like But I'm it won't be all, my name on it. I'm but... asking all the right questions here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a Canadian whiskey. I have my signature on it now. So it's only available in Canada. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm not. You are Canadian too, right? Right. Okay. That's yeah. why. That's why today's been so polite, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, there's, there's no plans for my picture like Harlan's picture on, and uh, I, I'm kind of uh, in the in the shadows, especially in 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 the industry here. The blender is certainly not top billing as the distiller, which is where it should be um, for this type of product. Whereas if I was in Canada, I would be the star of the show because the blender is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Distiller, a lot of people don't know who the distiller is. Because so, everything at that point right. is pretty much blended, right? Right. Yeah. And the same if you go to Scotland too. The, and there's, there's, it's changing a little bit, but you'll hear about the blender a lot. So that's why I like going to Canada and Scotland because I'm the star. No, I'm just there's kidding. The red carpet gets rolled up for you there. <laughs> but here I'm in the background, and I, I think I'm an important part of the process and the team here at Buffalo Trace. And certainly Harlan and I are work, work together pretty close. But I, I'm fine with that, and that's fine with me. Well, good. As long as the single barrels don't put you out of business, right? I mean, that's what it's supposed to be there for. Yeah, we still, you still need us for that. <laughs> good deal. So, Drew, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. It was You're a welcome. pleasure to, uh, to talk to you, uh, learn more, especially about your background. Uh, like I said, you've got a rich history. You've been doing this forever, and I think you're probably the best in the game. And uh, I think, uh, think next time we'll, we'll roll out the red carpet for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So if you like what you hear, make sure you tell a friend. Uh, it's the best way to spread, spread the news of, of bourbon and knowledge is uh, just letting them know that if they're getting into this, make sure you talk about the podcast. Everybody's got to drive to work in the morning, so make sure that they, uh, they listen to this. Write a review on iTunes. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, also leave those reviews on iTunes. As I just said, if you... Uh, own a business or you know we work in marketing for a company, we have partnerships available. Go to burnpursuit.com, look for the partnership tab at the top, and you can read more about an our media kit right there. If you have any more questions uh, or suggestions for the show, please send me an email. It's the duo, T-H-E-D-U-O at burdenpursuit.com. And with that, we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.